Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Is God good, church? Is He still the God of revival? Yes, He is. I, I hope that you, are, you have been joining me in praying for revival, not only within our church, but also if you've done any sort of uh, honest work in looking at revivals, you know that revival, it may start in the church, but oftentimes it starts when a, a man or woman of God gets on their knees before Almighty God and asks God to bring the revival, and the revival doesn't stop in the church house and then goes out into the schoolhouse, and it goes out into the rest of uh, society, really. So that's what I've been praying for, and hopefully you have too, and I love to see what God is doing in your lives. I love to hear the positive reports of what God's doing in your lives. And I just want you to know that if God's doing in something in you, tell somebody. Because it's so encouraging when, when people hear about God's activity with one another. That way we, we start to understand that we're not the only one on this journey. And we get encouraged by other people's encouragement. I would like to stop and pray before we, we jump into our passage today in Matthew 9. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. We are so grateful to be here in this space, God, whether we're meeting in this room or we're meeting uh, even someone on the other side of a screen or the other side of a podcast, God, just however it is that we're gathering to today, God, I just am thankful that you're here with us. And God, we ask that the Holy Spirit would speak today. And it would speak every time that this message is heard, that it would speak, not my words, God, but your word coming to life through the power of the Holy Spirit equipping, encouraging, and challenging us and inviting us into a better way of life, a better way of living, a better way of seeing people, and ultimately a heart that is, is fully alive. And we just ask this in the powerful, in the so present name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so this morning we're going to start out a little different. We're actually going to jump right into the passage. In Matthew 9 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 18. And I want you to know there are four takeaways here. And just so you are clear as to what's going to happen, I'm going to gloss over the first part of the passage, and I'm going to gloss over the second part of the passage. But to be true to the passage, we have four takeaways. And if you have your uh, sermon notes or info card, whatever the thing is that we call that you were handed on the way in, if you have that, there are four fill-in-the-blanks there, number one, two, three, and four. And number one and four have to do with a miracle and then two and three have to do with a different miracle, and we're going to talk about the miracle in between. Are you tracking with me so far? I said a lot. I need to take a breath already. So, But that's where we're going to be, and I want you to know that this is important, obviously, because it's God's Word, and all of it's important, but I really sense that God wanted to show us something specifically out of the middle passage here, but to be true to the text, we're going to look at all of it. So let's go into... Matthew's gospel, um, just his, his account and biography of Jesus in chapter 9, verse 18. And we're going to read through verse, uh, through all the way to verse 26. So here we go. Verse 18 says this. While he was saying this, in other words, while he was being questioned about fasting and doing some teaching. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. 
She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw that the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl, does, the girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. So now, if you will, Jesus is on his way to a place, and as he's on a way to a place to to perform a miracle to raise uh, Jairus's daughter, who was twelve years old, we know that from a biblical another biblical account. She was twelve years old. He's going to meet this to meet this little girl and to raise her to resurrect her perform a miracle and in the midst of that there's another woman who's also desperate for a miracle who'd had a 12-year condition of hemorrhaging blood for 12 years and now Jesus is on the way to go resurrect a little girl and yet in the midst of that he has the presence of mind to then perform another miracle on his way. And I've been thinking about this, and I've been sitting on this. I'm like, how would this relate to us in everyday life? Like, when this, this scenario, how would this play out in everyday life? And, of course, you know, you, you just kind of sense the tension in the passage because of the miracles and what Jesus is doing. But I thought about this in the most practical sense, and I thought about anyone who's ever gone to the grocery store and who has been, they go to the grocery store, and maybe they're running a touch late already, and they're actually going to the grocery store to pick up something, maybe for a birthday party or another gathering, maybe food to go to somebody's house, didn't have time to make it, so you go grab a pie at the, you know, at the baker at the grocery store. And like you run into the grocery store. Who's with me so far? Who's been here? Who, let's be honest. In front of Jesus and all these people, right? Here we go. We're, we've all been late. We've all done these kinds of things. But yeah, that isn't the issue. See, the issue is we can run into the store, but the issue is, when you see the person, maybe they're even a friend of yours, and they like to talk. That's when it becomes a problem. Because you went in there for some pie, because you got this thing to do, and you're running a little bit late, and you scrambling around in the store, and you've got your head down, and you're just trying to just get by to get this pie, or get whatever, this gift, this gift bag, gift card, or whatever you're getting, to go somewhere else. And all of a sudden, you see somebody else, and you're like, if I get in this conversation... This milk is going to expire. <laughs> this yogurt is going to separate. The cottage cheese will be fine. It'll be fine because it's already there. But, you know, everything's going to be bad. You know, you know everything's going to be bad if you see this person. So, so let's just be honest. I'm not going to have you raise your hand because I know some of you wouldn't. But, but I know many of us in that moment were like, maybe you even really, really like the person. And what do you do? You make yourself invisible so you don't see them. And you also pretend that they don't exist and you don't see them. So you don't want them to see you and you don't want to see them. So what do you do? You're like, oh, I can't get in that conversation. I gotta. And then you, you go an aisle over and then they walk over. You're like, good grief, you're following me. And then you go over here and you're looking down the long aisle and you're like, no, no, no. I need to get in that aisle, but I'm just going to... Coast is clear, right? And then you, you do your thing and you run in and grab your stuff. And then you go through self-check and you put your head down and you're like, you say hi to Katie. You know, like, hey, Katie. And then, and then you walk out and, you know, and then you kind of do your thing. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden you get outside and you take a breather and you're like, oh, now we're going to be on time. 
You see, we, we all know what this is like in real life because we all tend to be busy people. We tend to be busy people, and we are usually on our way somewhere to do something, and yet it's the things that happen on the way to somewhere that become really significant. And it's even in those moments, people we like that we tend to avoid. Not because they're hard people, not even because they're annoying people. I can be annoying. I'm just being honest. I can be annoying. But, but it's not even because of any of those things. It's because maybe even somebody you like. My point in saying all of this is this. You see, in every day of our lives, we should be like Jesus and be present with the person who's in front of us, never seeking to be invisible or to make them invisible to us. And if we were to take the, the heart and posture of Jesus, it's this. It's the big switch to, to take that person who's invisible and to make them visible to make the, the person who maybe feels unknown to make them known. The person who, who maybe feels like that they're unlovable, but to elevate them to say, no, you are loved and that you're cared for. The, the interesting thing about this passage is this, is that while Jesus was saying this, right? So he just, he's in the middle of a teaching in verse 18. We read that. A ruler came and he knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. So, so now the, the ruler, Jairus' daughter, dad, excuse me, understands that, hey, Jesus has the ability to perform a miracle. So there's already faith present to believe that God can do something miraculous. Oh, church, I want you to know that we serve a God who is the God of the miraculous, He's the God that you surrender to him. He can make all things new. He can make your finances new. He can make your marriage new. He can make your life new. He can make your parenting new. He can even improve your boss's attitude. Pray for your boss, right? He, God can do all these things. There's nothing outside of the grasp of God. We need to be people who are believing that God can and still wants to do miracles, you see, the big switch here is, sure, we're going to look at the relational side of Jesus and how Jesus, he, he's confronted while he's in the middle of some teaching, and he's confronted with something that is, uh, honestly, something we, none of us want to deal with, and some of us have had to. First, he's confronted with a, a tragic death, a tragic death. The very first thing, you see that there's, there's a little girl that's, that has died, and she's 12 years old. And there's a lot of desperation in this passage. There's the desperation of a father to get to Jesus. There's also the desperation of a, of a woman with a 12-year condition to get to Jesus. And all of this in this short amount of, of verses is so intertwined. And just for a couple moments, we're going to pull it apart a little bit, and we're going to look at this maybe with some fresh eyes to see maybe where we are in the midst of all of this. One of the things I've asked myself throughout the years is how is, how is it that Jesus had the relational presence to be able to, to address the person in front of him in every circumstance? If you look at this passage it says, while Jesus was saying this. So he was in the middle of doing something. And notice that he's, he's confronted by this ruler, by Jairus' father, who's coming on her behalf who, because she has just died. Jesus got up, presence of mind, relational presence. He got up, and he went 
with the disciples to go meet this need. But notice what it says in verse 20. It says, just then. So Jesus doing some great things, doing some teaching, and now he's confronted, and now Jesus is pivoting, and now he's like, okay, now I'm going to go resurrect this, this little girl. And now you see in verse 20, it's like, and just then another woman, it's like, boom, boom, boom. How did Jesus have the ability to be emotionally available to the person in front of him? To be emotionally available to the person in front of him. Mark 1:35 and there are other passages too but this is this is one of the reasons or this is one of the reasons why Jesus had the ability to be emotionally available in every situation and setting he was in without being overwhelmed like we tend to be overwhelmed. It says this in Mark 1:35 very early in the morning while it was still dark Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I want to tell you there's a there's been several things throughout my spiritual life that has helped me and to transform my spiritual life. And it's when I started to take verses like this seriously. Because as you can imagine, as a pastor, I have people trying to, to draw energy and time and, and knowledge and experience and wisdom and counseling and all of these things. People just kind of pulling, pulling, pulling. If I didn't do what Jesus modeled for us of while it was still dark, before anybody else had the opportunity to ask me for anything, I, I've chosen to spend time with God. Where before I go to the gym and before I even run into the gym where, where somebody may need something from me or ask something from me, I, I stop and I spend time with Almighty God, and I open up the Word of God, and I study God's Word, and I read God's Word, and I try and allow God's Word to soak its way into me, and I spend time praying with God. Now, do I bat a thousand? Do I do it every single day? Have I missed days? Yes, absolutely I have. But this is a discipline that I've taken seriously for several years now, and this, and just to, really, I would say this, this has probably shaped my Christian life more than anything else. Because I've taken this seriously. And that allows me then, when I'm asked of to do something, that my first inclination isn't being tired, emotionally drained. Instead, it's to be spiritually filled and emotionally full so I can be relationally present and emotionally present to the person who's in front of me. Because then my heart can be positioned to say yes. Where if I'm running ragged and if I'm exhausted and I'm spiritually dry, my default answer is going to be what? No. And sometimes God just wants to say yes and he wants to fuel us before our day even begins. You see, Jesus' time with the Father prepared his heart to be with people. Jesus' time with the Father prepared his heart to be with people. Simply put, this is what gave him the, the spiritual ability of Jesus, he, he in the flesh, tempted, tried, just like we are, but he knew his limits, and he knew where he needed to start his day. I made the change years ago, and it's changed my life, and perhaps it would change yours. So, of course, the, the first thing that we see is this little girl who's died, and her desperate father, just a tragic death. The second thing we see is a 12-year condition. Now, the 12-year condition is what we're going to spend more time on. It says this in verse 20. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. 
she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. So, so notice, if you will, take this journey with me off the stage. So notice, if you will, that you see Jesus has his whole entourage and his whole disciples. They're on the way to this house, right, to perform a miracle. Jesus has just got done doing some teaching. Everything's going great. Everything's wonderful. Everybody's moving that direction towards the house. And you see this desperate woman who's been in a hemorrhaging condition for 12 years. And I'm going to tell you in just a moment all the social implications of that. She is then so desperate to then go up behind Jesus in the midst of a crowd where people would know about her social condition because she was, in a, she was a social outcast. So she was so desperate to be healed and to connect with Jesus and not even to say anything to Jesus, but what did she do? She was so desperate and she knew just a simple touch of Jesus' cloak had the ability to heal her. She had that kind of faith. She had that kind of belief, but she was desperate. Oh, people of God, if you actually want to see spiritual change in your life, you have to be desperate. You you have to be desperate. You have to be. Some some of my friends in in recovery through the years, they, they call it rock bottom where they've exhausted all the ways to try and fix a situation. That's where, that's where this woman is with this 12-year condition where she's been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. There's several issues here with her problem and, and uh, with the problems that come with her condition, and I'm going to drill down into those. There was a personal problem. There was an emotional element to this. There was humiliation. There was shame. There was this this belief, had to have been a belief, just a condemning belief of unworthiness. In Leviticus 125, of which they would have been living by this, this would have been one of the, the law codes that they would have been living in in this culture. And this is what it says about a woman in her condition. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge just as the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean as is her bed during her monthly period. And anyone she sits Excuse me, and anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. Whoever touches them will be unclean. He must wash his clothes and bathe with water And he will be unclean until evening. When she is cleansed from his discharge, she will count off seven days. And after that, she will be ceremonial clean. She's had a 12-year condition where no one could touch her. Where she couldn't sit in public. Don't you think that brings a high level of humiliation? There also was a, a financial problem. In Mark... 526, and this is Mark's account of the same miracle. It said this, that she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. So now, it's not only a personal problem, the humiliation that comes with it, but also it's a financial problem. Now she's broke. She's exhausted all of her finances to fix, to go to a doctor to fix this. There's an interesting connection with 
the 12-year-old little girl in the 12-year condition that this, that this dear woman had. And some of the scholars believe that maybe they were actually under the care of the same doctor. And maybe this is what God is just trying to show us. We don't know this for sure. But maybe there's, there's a connection there with 12 years. People in two different aspects of life. There was a health care problem. It's said in, in the passage we just read in Matthew 5, 26, that no matter who she went to go see and how many times she went to the doctor, she'd, she basically exhausted all of her money and there was nothing that they could do for her. Proverbs 13, 12 says the story. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. How many times do you think she was dreaming about being free from this condition? And yet it was, she was plagued with it for 12 whole years. There was a physical problem. Just the, the hemorrhage of blood and energy. Feeling continually fatigued and tired. It's the kind of tire that you just can't sleep off. There was also a spiritual problem. Did you catch the, Levit- the Leviticus passage? It says, only after that a woman had gone through her cycle and all these things and had seven days, could then she be considered ceremonial clean. So instead, she was never considered ceremonial clean, so she could never participate in worship services for 12 years. So it's a physical problem, and it's a spiritual problem, and it's a social problem, because she would have been the outcast. She would have been the outcast. She would have been the, prob- she would have been the, the problem person that other people would have looked at. And sadly, she had a problem with no solution. She had a problem with, with no solution, no known solution at the time. But what was the solution? It was a touch. It was a touch. In verse 21 and 22, it says this. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. If I, if I, could, only, if I could just get there. If I could cut through the crowd, if I could just touch Jesus, I know Jesus can heal me. The doctors couldn't heal me. My money couldn't heal me. People can't heal me. It's only Jesus who can heal me. She's so desperate. Can you see her walking through the crowd? Can you see the people parting behind her knowing who she is? And they're parting away so they don't touch her, so they don't become ceremonial unclean? Can you see even in that moment through the desperation that she's just slowly walking through the crowd? She doesn't want to confront Jesus face to face. Instead, she's willing to go up behind Jesus and the people are parting as if it was Moses parting the Red Sea and just trying to avoid her and the mass just kind of moving out of the way just so she could be up there just to get a touch of Jesus. But the touch required faith because that's what Jesus even mentions to her. After she says to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. She was locked in and her purpose was set on that. But Jesus turned to her and saw her and he says in verse 22, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. Notice, Jesus didn't say, hey, hey, your striving has healed you or your money has healed you. 
Or he didn't say, your determination healed you. He didn't say, you know what? I feel so merciful towards you, I'm just going to heal you. Instead, what was it that brought the healing? Faith. Some, some, some folks, they've, they're still trying to exhaust all of the physical ways to solve problems instead of being willing to just have a, a touch. And, and with that touch requires a level of faith just to actually go to Jesus for the problem. Instead, we're, we go to the person for the problem, we go to our wife for the problem, or we go to a computer for the problem, or we go to our bank account for the problem, or we just leave town to solve the problem, or we, do, or we just get mad to solve the problem, or we withdraw to solve the problem. Instead, what if we stop doing all of that ridiculousness and just go to Jesus to begin with? Once we go to Jesus, he may send you to the bank to fix the problem. He may, fi- he may send you to a counselor to fix a problem. He may send you to me to fix a problem. He may send you to a friend to fix a problem. He may send you, who knows what, what Jesus could do. But how about we start with Jesus first and allow him to then direct our past to see what it is that he wants us to do. Perhaps the reason why we're exhausted and spinning in circles and why we're in the same place that we have been for a long time is because we're still trying to fix our problems all by ourselves. And maybe we're actually, we're going around and round and round Jesus instead of actually being willing to have a touch of, of his garment that would heal us. Who am I talking to this morning? Anybody? Just a, just a touch. But we've got to be desperate enough for that touch. She was desperate. She, she was at the end of herself. Warren Wearsby, the commentarian, he said this. He said, it's not the strength of our faith that saves us, but the faith of our strong Savior. It's not the strength of our faith that saves us, but it's the faith of a strong Savior. I want you to know this. Jesus doesn't force himself onto anyone. A person's faith opens the door to Jesus. Jesus doesn't force himself onto you. He's available to you when you are in a desperate place to reach out to him by faith to touch his cloak. And however, Jesus will not force himself onto you. When you, when you go out the, through the biographies and the gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at what Jesus did, Jesus didn't force himself onto people. He doesn't force somebody to have faith. Instead, he reveals himself and we respond in faith. He he sends the initial message, we respond in faith. But it's not the strength of our our faith that holds it all together. It's, It's the strength of our Savior. But Jesus doesn't force himself onto you. It's a person's faith who opens the door to Jesus. Verse... 33 of Mark 5 tells a story a little differently than Matthew's gospel. In Mark's account, it highlights her faith even more and also the, how fragile she is and how broken she is. Verse 33 of Mark 5 says this, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear and told him the truth. And Jesus' reply is this, Daughter, your faith is healed. You go in peace and be freed from your suffering. 
Her personal desperation pushed past the public humiliation into a peaceful healing. I'll say it again. Her personal desperation pushed past her public humiliation to bring about peaceful healing. You see, Jesus was touchable even to the untouchables. Jesus was touchable even to the untouchables. I just, I just sense that there's somebody who feels like that you are outside of the bounds of God. I just sense that there's somebody who feels like you're the untouchable. Maybe your condition isn't the same as this woman's, but for you it feels the same, where you feel like you're separated from God and, and that, that you're, you're so far gone because of the issues, and maybe you've tried to do all these things under your own power, and it's failed and failed and failed, and maybe you're facing some, some shame right now where it's not just that you feel like you've made a mistake, you just feel like you are a mistake. And I want you to know in that, maybe you feel like an untouchable. And Jesus was touchable even to people like you. Jesus has a long storied history of connecting with people who other people discounted. And he's not discounting you. We'll finish out this passage back in verse 23, reading through verse 26. And we'll see about the triumphant resurrection. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. There's actually something that's kind of funny here. And I realize it's a resurrection, like some little girl was dead. And like, okay, this is weird, weird twist. The funny thing is this. It says here, the flute players and noisy crowd. There were professional mourners in the ancient cultures. And the more wealthy you were, the more production you could have after someone died. So in cultures, in the Egyptian cultures, Roman cultures, the, uh, Gre- uh, the, you know, the Greco-Roman cultures, all of these cultures, they had professional mourners. So if someone would die, they would literally pay these people to go in and bring instruments, and they would actually do reenactments from the person's life. They would give professional eulogies in front of the family. And the more wealthy you were, the bigger the show it was. So most likely, that's what's happening here. Aren't you glad we don't do that in this culture? Like, anyone? That'd be kind of weird. All right, and now Pastor Chad's going to follow all that. You know, like, I don't know. That was just, it's kind of a weird thing. But they literally did that. And it was, again, the wealthier you were, the bigger the production. Notice that it says that he was a ruler. means he was, a, he was an official. He was in a place of, of authority and most likely some wealth. So now the flute players were in there and the noisy crowd, they were, being, they were known as the noisy crowd because they would go in during their professional morning and the louder they could be, the better it would be and the more commotion they could make. It would also mean that somebody may hire them and pay them for the next funeral because they're like, wow, they made a lot of noise at the last one. It seems so disconnected from our culture and even kind of, kind of funny because it's like, really? But they literally did that. That's who Jesus is sending out. He's like, we have no need for you anymore. We're we're not going to be mourning anymore. Instead, we're going to be celebrating in just a second, but we need you to leave the room. You're excused now. Go do the next thing. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. 
The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in. He took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all the region. All the region. Jesus meets both of these females. One 12-year-old little girl and one woman who's had an issue for 12 years. And he's emotionally present. He's spiritually present. And, and don't think for a second he's just like doling out miracles like a, a Pez dispenser. You know, like lift up the head. Here's your Pez. Here's your Pez. Here's your Pez. Here's your Pez. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's responding to their faith in both of these instances. Because the father's faith heals the daughter. This woman who had enough faith to face public humiliation, to cut through the crowd just to touch Jesus' cloak. But it was her faith that did that as well. You see, sometimes we don't get all of the, the answers to all the things that plague us, challenge us. Sometimes we don't get the exact fix that we need. And sometimes we have to go on our own journey, whether it's through illness or disease or, or even relational struggle or something else. And sometimes what Jesus gives us is not that miracle, but sometimes it's just knowing that you're beloved and that you're known by God. Sometimes that's, that's the gift that Jesus gives you. It's not the, the healing and, and the miracle in that way. Instead, he just gives you this, this constant reminder, hey, I know you, you're not alone. I love you, you're not unlovable, but I know you and I love you. Because healing doesn't always look like what we've, hope, what we've been hoping for. Sometimes healing just looks like acceptance, belonging, and connection. Sometimes it's a simple touch. Would you stand? Sometimes... It's just a touch. Sometimes it's just what Jesus sends you is, is one of his people who just gives you a, a thoughtful word of encouragement. Maybe a hug. Remember a couple years ago when we went months and months and months and we were hug deprived? Sometimes what Jesus sends is, is encouragement and sometimes what Jesus gives us is correction because he knows what we need. Sometimes what he, what he gives us is through our desperation. Sometimes what he first gives us is just the the ability to face humiliation, to step out of the crowd, to say, I need this. And, and he, he bolsters your faith and gives you courage to conquer the fear, to step forward, to do the thing that he wants you to do. One of the things that's so refreshing is, is knowing that there's nothing I can do to save myself. 
There's nothing I can do. There's no righteous act. There's no amount of service that could happen in the church or outside the church. I can't decide to give all my money away to the poor and think that God's going to save me just because I've been generous in that way. That's refreshing to me because that means that there's no other thing that I have to go to and wonder, like, how is it that I can be saved? How is it that I can know that I'm right with God? How is it that I can have a touch with Jesus? Do I have to go through all these hoops? But the gospel message is miraculous in its own way. Because the Bible tells us that no one is righteous, not even one of us. Not even the Jews who were trying to live by the law of the Old Testament, and they were trying to live by right and wrong. What God said was right and wrong, and right and wrong, right and wrong. As a matter of fact, all that did was reveal to them what their real sin issue was. So the gospel is there for the Jew, and it's also for all of us who are not Jews. It's there for for all of us who've who've tried maybe to to meet all of the, the needs and just try and suck up all the things of this world to try and make themselves happy or to bring peace into their life. Whether it was something you purchased or something you injected or something you huffed or something you smoked or somebody you slept with, Jesus can set your heart free. This is what he wants to do today. This is what he wants to do every day. He wants to give you the strength and the faith and the courage to take back all, push back all of that fear. It says in Romans 3.23, it says that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it says this about Christians and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't apply to you, just the first part. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you are separated from God right now. You can be in this room. You can be engaged with this message. You can be praying through everything. You could be singing the songs. You could have given an offering on your way in. You could do all these things. But if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, you are not one with the Father. And if you're not one with the Father, you're not going to be in heaven. And in in accordance with what this verse just said, you are still guilty of your sins. The cleansing, the the taking away, the justification, the being made and declared not guilty of your sins is when you confess yourself a sinner. You ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You acknowledge the fact that He died on the cross to take away your sins. And you celebrate His resurrection by faith, believing that He resurrected from the dead. And it is then when you confess and believe that you will be saved. Who needs to be saved today? Who needs a touch of Jesus today? As we respond with singing, you respond with with what it is that God has for you. You won't be alone. If you come to the front, there are people who would love to, to counsel you and pray over you. Do what it is that God is, is whispering in your ear to do. And don't leave until you do it.